Amen. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I want to talk to you tonight about my prayer for the next great work at Sherwood. I believe I can honestly say my heart is the same as it was over 31 years ago when I came here for revival and awakening, for changing the world from Albany, Georgia, for reaching the next generation and for praying for him possibles. What God has done through a united praying church is undeniable. It cannot be attributed to any one man. It can only be attributed to the hand of God on this church in this season. As I said, when we started making movies, I remember uh, sitting down in an interview, I think it was with a lady from USA Today, and she asked me about, you know, the, the movies and everything else, and I just said, you know, God did a pretty big thing in a little place called Bethlehem. And a lot of people would look at a town like Albany and say, what could God do there? I would submit to you, he could do massive things in a little town like Albany, Georgia. And I don't say this from my perspective. I say this just trying to take a, a view as I move off the scene. I would have to, hate to think what Southwest Georgia would be without Sherwood Baptist at her best. She needs to be at her best. And that can only happen when you move together in unity and in prayer. You owe it to the next pastor to be so prayed up, so united, that when he walks in here, he is in awe of what God is doing and has to run to catch up. It should be so evident to him of the limitless opportunities that are here to be the pastor of this church. Dave Stone, who was uh, one of the men that uh, our transition team talked to, who's a friend of mine who pastored uh, a church in Louisville that was running about 15,000, said every organization goes through changes and transitions. It's necessary for survival. Resisting change is a death toll. The leader of an organization must learn from the past, adapt to the present, and plan for the future. The reason I chose Nehemiah to talk about prayer is that he was not a theologian. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. Nehemiah was a layman. He was a cupbearer to the king. The last great spiritual awakening that happened in America was 150 years ago through the prayers started by a layman. Jeremiah Lamphere, who started prayer meetings at noon in New York City that grew in such a capacity that all over New York City people were praying. When, when ships were coming into New York, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was so strong, even as ships were approaching New York, 
that they would stop and drop anchor and ask for ministers and chaplains to come out and tell them how to be saved. My prayer is that God would do such a work that when people hit the county lines, they sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And they sense the move of God. In my heart, I believe, I honestly believe, this is not preacher talk. I've thought about this long and hard. In my heart, I believe that the next man who fills this office will see things and believe things and lead you to do things that I could never imagine. Here's what I know as Ben said and as we've talked about, transition team has talked about, I've talked about, there's only one man to be the pastor of this church. This transition team is not conducting a beauty pageant. We're not getting Jesse to bring all his boys out and forget about David. We're asking God, you should be asking God for the one man in all the earth that is supposed to be at Sherwood. There's only one. There's not two, there's not three, there's not ten. There's one. And he's out there. And it is the responsibility of the transition team to find that one, and it is your responsibility to undergird them in prayer. This is about God's man for this church at this time. And I applaud the due diligence and the soberness of the transition team and the way that they are handling all of this. I have removed myself from much of it because I don't want anybody to say at any time, well, Michael forced the church to do what he wanted to do. I believe my God is big enough to lead that team to do the right thing. In a time of transition, it would be easy to get off course, to run ahead of God, to think we know better, Such thinking would lead us to call a Saul and not a David. Finding God's man is crucial because we live in times that are biblically illiterate. Churches have lost their way. They've lost their voice. They've lost their salt and their light. And if ever there needed to be a time for men of God to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, without stuttering, this is the time. And that kind of man needs to stand in this pulpit. Sherwood cannot veer off the narrow way. My goal in my prayer has been for months now to do everything I know to do to make the transition as smooth as possible from my standpoint, from what I do. I don't want to hold on to the reins too tightly. 
I don't want to try to manipulate anything behind the scenes. I want to give prayer and support, and I want a transition team to be able to say to the next guy, we can tell you this, Michael will give you his full prayer and his support and his loyalty. Because I think following somebody that's been somewhere 31 years, I would want to know that. I would not want to come in questioning, am I going to be okay? Or is the former guy going to come in and say, don't like what you're doing? My goal and my commitment to you is a smooth handoff in the passing of the baton, just like Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, David and Solomon, Paul and Timothy. I have a friend, Tom Mullins, who was the founding pastor of Christ Fellowship uh, down on the east coast of uh, Florida. He's done an amazing job. Started out in a movie theater with 40 people, and uh, now they run 10, 12, 15,000. He stepped aside a few years ago. His son became the pastor. Uh, Aaron or Haley are not going to become the pastor, I just, just, just so you'll know. Uh, I'm not setting that up. <laughs> uh, but he wrote a book on transitions and on passing the baton. This is what he said. It's important to remember that you will never be the one to carry the baton across the finish line. God has a lot more to do through his people. And each person's individual leg of the race will one day come to an end. Now, if you've been around me long or if you've been in any refresh conferences or you've traveled with us in any refresh conferences, you would know that I have talked often about churches that have not transitioned well and churches that go through pastors like a revolving door. And uh, either the pastor stays too long or there's a falling out or, you know, there's a division within the church and something bad happens and and i can tell you every one of those situations are for two reasons lack of unity and lack of prayer lack of unity and lack of prayer if you want god's man you've got to do exactly what ben said there's got to be unity and there's got to be prayer don't be probing trying to find out so that you can go down to the coffee shop and say, well, I talked to somebody and they told me. No. You talk to God. And let God speak to those who are helping to make this decision. Let me tell you why calling God's man is imperative. According to most recent surveys, in the average church in America, this is across all denominational lines, nine out of 10 members cannot explain the Great Commission. 50% of Christians in America say Satan is not a personal being. 85% of people believe that Jesus sinned while he was on earth. 33% say that there are no moral absolutes. And the overwhelming majority of church members in America say they have never once in their life sensed the presence of God in a worship service. 
then I, that, that can't be us. But I want to tell you, those churches didn't get there by accident. They got there because they didn't have unity and they didn't have prayer and they didn't have a man to stand in the pulpit and preach the word without apology. God's going to send his man here. I look at Nehemiah and I think God's got a Nehemiah for this church. He's got a man to lead in a process that is ahead of us. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 2. Some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Would we all admit we live in a broken world where the walls are down and the gates are burning and we don't know what to do and the church is being mocked as irrelevant? Where across our land people can gather in all kind of environments but still in many states cannot gather in churches. Do not think that what happens in the church doesn't matter. It matters. Verse 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. Honesty. That's what I have written by these verses. Nehemiah was honest. There's no smoke and mirrors. He was honest. Lord, we've sinned against you. And, and the walls are burned and destroyed. We're, our people have been in captivity because we ignored what you said in your word. And the reason people are in bondage today is because the church has ignored how God has said people can be set free. Verse 7, he talks about repentance. Verse 8, he talks about remembering. In verse 9, he talks about returning. And then in verse 11, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man he's talking about before the king. COVID has had a major impact on our prayer ministry. Uh, it has kept us from gathering. We've gone over a year and a half without a concert of prayer. We've just now in the last two weeks had house of prayer. It's affected our intercessory prayer ministry. We went for months and months and months where we couldn't even hand out a prayer list to say here are the people to pray for and the things to pray for. 
we've got to recapture that spirit of prayer in the life of this church. If we want the hand of God on this church, that spirit of prayer has to be recaptured. And I would encourage you, uh, set a reminder on your phone. I have one on mine. I have to take four pills every day at noon. I'm supposed to take them at the same time every day. And at noon every day, I get this little beep, 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 and it just keeps beep, beeping until I take those four pills. I would encourage you, 8 p.m., whenever it is, but the more you can pray in unity, because as time goes, we forget. And before we know it, we've gone two or three days and we haven't prayed about anything, and then we feel guilty that we haven't prayed about it. Set a reminder for a time that is good for you and pray in unity for the things that you've been asked to pray for. Nehemiah was an example for every member of this church. He was broken over the condition of the city. Verse 3, he uses the word distress or calamity. They were in a vulnerable position. Reproach, that, that idea of bearing cutting remarks. The Jews were being slandered and criticized by the enemies of their faith. Alan Redpath said, you are never used of God to bring blessing until God has opened your eyes and made you see things as they are. We need to see things as they are so we know how to pray. We don't need to ask God to see things our way. We need to see things as God sees them and then get on the same page with him. The Babylonians had sacked Jerusalem uh, decades before, taken the citizens into captivity, and in 2 Chronicles, it just rolls out all the things that had happened to the people of God because they forgot to keep the covenant. They forgot to keep the promises. Nebuchadnezzar stole the articles in the temple, 2 Chronicles 36, 18. He burned the temple, 2 Chronicles 36, 19. He broke down the walls, 36, 19. He destroyed every major building in Jerusalem, 2 Chronicles 36, 19. Then, like all earthly kingdoms, Babylonians fell to, per to the Persians, and Cyrus who Isaiah says in Isaiah 45 was God's anointed. He calls a pagan king God's anointed. Don't presume that God can't turn the hearts of pagans. Isaiah says, Cyrus, my anointed. This is what he's going to do. He's going to send people back and he's going to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And he began to let people go back. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, Daniel had prophesied that in Daniel chapter 9 in verse 2, and Jeremiah had prophesied it in Jeremiah 25, 11, that the captivity would end 70 years later. So first Ezra came back. He restored the people to worship in that temple, but the walls were still down. While the temple was restored, the city was vulnerable and the walls needed to be rebuilt. 
The word wall or walls appears 33 times in the book of Nehemiah. Every city needs walls. And the church is that wall. The church is the wall that keeps the enemy from plundering the city. And the church needs to have sentries on the wall and watchmen on the wall and standard bearers on the wall to protect the city from those who seek to destroy it. Nehemiah knew in chapter 1 God was up to something because he knew the scriptures. He could interpret events in light of what he knew the Bible said. What he did not know was he was the guy that God was going to use. I mean, he had an important position. He's the cupbearer to the king, which means before the king takes a bite of food or drinks anything out of a cup, he tasted it to see if it was poisoned. <laughs> Thankless job. <laughs> but he didn't know he was the guy that was going to go back to Jerusalem. But when he heard the word, God burdened his heart and said, God, I need to know when to talk to this king about going back and helping my people. Now here's something I want you to understand. The man God has for Sherwood may not know it yet. That's okay. And you and I need to be okay with that. But God will stir his heart and draw him here. I think Tom Ellef was wise when he said, he and I were having a conversation, he said, the person you want needs to be so in love with the church he's at that God has to pry his hands off of it to get him to come to Sherwood. He doesn't need to be a guy that's looking to leave. He needs to be a guy that is compelled by the Holy Spirit to move and to do what God says to him. The church of the 21st century needs to rebuild the walls for security, to keep the enemy out, for perspective, for centuries to see the approaching armies, for a witness and for a picture of what we need to be like, praying and holding the sword of the Spirit. A prayerless church will allow the walls to be breached we can have all the security cameras you want, and we've got a lot of them. But they will not keep the devil out. And they will not keep people from trying to play fear instead of faith. You and I, those of us in this room tonight, are the core, the key of what needs to happen moving forward to make sure that the enemy gets no foothold in this place in the coming weeks and months. Right now we are building in a building process, not a brick and mortar, but an environment, an attitude, a spirit, a vision that will cause a Nehemiah to come lead us like never before. I'm asking God for a fresh touch I'm not the guy to take you into the future but there is one out there 
And I'm asking God to give him a fresh touch and to give you a fresh touch. When you look at Nehemiah's prayer, he was fervent, he wept, he was broken, he grieved over the situation. Here's what I love about his prayer. His prayer was filled with scripture. In verse 8, he's referring back to Deuteronomy 28, 64. In verse 9, he's going back to Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 4, and Deuteronomy 12, 5. In verse 10, he's in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 29. He knew his Bible, and his praying was based on Scripture. His plea was based on the promises of God. We are in a season of need to find God's man. So what does that require? Let me give you some suggestions. Number one, we need to be honest. We need to be honest. Things will change. That's okay. Can you say amen? amen. That's okay. Things will change. Life causes change. It's all right. Don't live in the past. Look forward. It would break my heart if people in this church spent their time talking about what used to go on here and not about what is going on and will go on here. Look forward. Verse 4, when I heard these words, he was dealing with reality. There was no time for him to be preoccupied with secondary things or superficial things. He wanted to be a part of the answer to the problem. You want to see God's man come here? Pray. Pray. And pray that he does a greater work. Secondly, we need laser-like focus on the Lord. I love this. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. God can and God will. He's the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. You say, well, he's talking about Old Testament. But I'm going to tell you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus told the disciples they would do greater works. We'll talk about that next week a little bit. He says, Lord God of heaven, he went to the throne of God. He acted in a prayer environment. Before he ever said a word to the king, he had prayed to the king in heaven. Thirdly, we need surrender and obedience. Verse 5, those who love him and obey his commandments. People who love God do what he says. We need to repent, verses 6 and 7. We have sinned against you. We have acted very corruptly against you. you. You notice that Nehemiah didn't say they have acted corruptly. He said we. He wasn't even living there. He says we have acted corruptly against you. So let me ask you a question. Why would God send his man if there is willing compromise in our lives that would somehow say God could not entrust us with that man or would put a check in his heart to say, I I'm not sure that 
church really wants to see a move of God? That depends on you. Because if he's a godly man, he'll know whether there's a spirit of compromise or whether there's a spirit of unity. The kings of Judah and the people had violated the covenant. They had partnered with godless people. We are called to be citizens of heaven. We are called to be the body of Christ, and that means you can't walk in two directions at the same time. You just can't. You can't, you can't look in two directions at the same time, and you can't walk in two directions at the same time. And this church needs to walk in unity like it never has before. We need to remind God of his promises, verse 8. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are faithful or unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. He's quoting Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 30. He's praying the promises of God. That's what I would encourage you to do. Ask God to give you promises to pray. Next, we need to ask God to revive our land. Nehemiah pleaded with God. If you read the prayers of Scripture and the great men and women of Scripture, they pleaded with God to do a work. They were desperate for God to move in their land and in their lives and for God to use them. Nothing would bring me greater joy than to see this church explode with baptisms and people called to missions and more young people being called out and families being brought together. And forgive me for saying this, but getting to the point where you had to do two morning services because you didn't have enough room in one. I believe it can happen. I don't know who it is, but I know he's out there. G.H. Lang, in his book, Prayer Focused in Fighting, points out that God doesn't ask me to decide the battle plan and then ask him to bless it. No, we are to seek him about what his plans are and partner with him. So in verse 11, Nehemiah says, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. We need to pray for God to make the next man successful. Listen. I, I, if God knows my heart, and I think he does. Sometimes I don't know it, but I know he knows my heart. Uh, there's not a jealous bone in my body 
Over 31 years, I've, I've asked God to help me bring the best preachers that I could find into this church, whether it's Ron Dunn or Tom Ellip or one of the refreshed speakers or Bill Stafford or, or whoever it was, I wanted to expose you to the best of the best that I could get. And not one time did I sit there and think, boy, he's too good. He makes me look really pathetic. It brought joy to my heart because here's what I know God has done in this church. He has taught you to love preachers and to love preaching. He's taught you that. I know pastors who would never use anybody but the guy they went to college with who couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag because they didn't want anybody any better than them ever preaching. I always wanted somebody who challenged me and challenged you. But I wanted to be on the front row sitting there and listening and saying, Lord, I need you to speak to me through this person. Whether they're a friend or the first time I've met them, I want you to speak to me through this person. And the greatest thing you can do is love the next preacher. I've always said when uh, there are changes in churches with pastors or staff, people sometimes get hung up and say, oh, I just don't know what, we, what we're going to do. Can I tell you what you're going to do? You're going to make your heart a little bigger. You love the people that you have, and you make your heart a little bigger for the people that come. That's what you do if you're a connect group leader. You love your class, new people come. You make your heart bigger, and you love them. You love the people in the church who are about to present some new members. You make your heart bigger, and you love them. Why? Because we're a family. We're a family, folks. We're family. And that means we love one another. We may not always like one another. And you may not always like me. But we love one another. And Nehemiah is the answer to his own prayer. The restoration of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the walls, found its answer in one request of one man who wept and asked God to help him be a solution to the problem. You don't have a problem. You have an opportunity. An opportunity in the weeks and months ahead to see what God's going to do. And can I tell you, the more you pray, the quicker God will move and the quicker it will be clear to the transition team. The less you pray, the more it may drag out because you know too much about prayer and you've seen God too much to just kind of kick back and just wait on somebody else to be a part of this. You need to be a part and the greatest part you can play is to pray. I don't know what he'll do. 
I don't know what his plans will be. I don't know what his ministry will be. I don't know what his priorities will be. But I know this. He'll be God's man. It is no accident that 13 years ago we put together this vision planning team for such a time as this. I did not know that I would be asking them to step into this role at this time. You didn't know it. They didn't know it. They're probably really resenting right now the fact that they got stuck with this, but uh, so be it. Um, But man, there are great days ahead. And next Sunday, we're going to talk one more time about how God's going to be sufficient for you in these moments. How God's going to lead this church and take care of this church and move this church along on our knees. A little bit different angle next week. But as we look at it, I want you to pray that God will speak and that God will use these men as they meet, as they pray, as they seek counsel. And that God, even now, is speaking to the heart of the next pastor of this church so that when the baton is passed, it's not a long pass off. It's a quick one, and it's the right one. And that you will be able to say in the months ahead, it seemed good to us and to the Holy Spirit what God did in this place. Let's pray together. In just a moment, we're going to present a number of families. And if you're to be presented, I want to ask you just to go uh, to my left, your right, and uh, allow us the opportunity to present you uh, to this church family as the newest members of the family. We'll sing for just a moment. Would you just ask the Lord right now, and maybe you need to turn to your spouse or to your family and just say, what's the hour, what's the time when we're going to pray every day for God's will for this church? If it's not 8 p.m., what time is it that you're going to pray for this church and for the next pastor? My prayer is when he steps into this pulpit, he will be the most prayed over pastor in America. Just like you've prayed for me, I'm asking you to pray for him. Because he's going to do a great job for you. Why? Because he's going to be God's man. And he's going to do God's work for God's glory and you're going to be blessed so Father I I thank you for Nehemiah's 
this room is full of cupbearers and people with servant hearts and people who are willing to step up when the need arises. And the need of the hour is for us to cry out to you and ask you to move and to work. And so I pray that you would. I pray for our transition team that you would empower them in a mighty way to do the task that is before them with peace peace of God and peace with God as they discern your will for the future of Sherwood. They are men given an awesome responsibility, but you are an awesome God, and you know how to help them do what you're calling them to do. So we bless your name, Father. For what's ahead, we pray it in Jesus' name.